0: Since early days, humankind is not only trying to find answers to the reason of its existence, but also to the unknown final frontier, life after death. Humankind cannot live forever, and when we die, what will we find beyond the grave? Stone Age people, ancient Egyptians, Greeks and Romans were fascinated by life after death. Philosophers, poets and playwrights have all expanded their theories. Artists give their own impression of life after death. In keeping with traditional views, John Milton's Paradise Lost and William Blake's Marriage of Heaven and Hell are two prominent literary classics that also influence society's attitudes and views regarding the afterlife. Arguably the most influential work though was Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy the three-part poetry epic which journeyed through inferno, purgatorio and paradiso or hell, purgatory and heaven. Towards the end of the 20th century a phenomenon arose in which people reported near-death experiences otherwise known as NDE's in which they encountered some form of afterlife reality. Modern medicine began referring to these occurrences as the Lazarus phenomenon after the biblical character that was revived by Jesus four days after his supposed death. This phenomenon of NDEs, in which revised patients report an extension of consciousness beyond clinical death, has been documented for centuries. I'm in agony in this fight.
1: shafts of radiance came out from the central core. It was like a white fire. Phenomenal radiance in the central core. From that I watched this brilliant light piercing out and I thought even the stars in the universe, even the constellations must find their energy source from this focal point. What is that light? Words appeared in front of my eyes. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all i wonder if i could just see his face i'll know who god is as i got within a few feet of his presence i began to place my face into the light
2: and then as i'm going down into this i begin to look into the flames and i begin to see people i mean there's thousands there's too many i don't know how many people are in the flames and they're they're screaming and their their arms are flailing and their bodies are rolling and and they're burning all over they're burning like in liquid fire
0: but what exactly is an nde experience medically speaking as the name nde implies these people have some event in which they are severely physically compromised. Generally there's a severe physical malady that occurs suddenly or at the end of a chronic illness. NDEs are often associated with cessation of heart function and cessation of breathing function or very often both. As a consequence of that within 10 seconds following cessation of heart function blood stops flowing in the brain and the EEG which measures the electrical brain activity goes flat implying that there is no electrical activity in the brain given that when you stop breathing and your heart stops and given that 10 seconds after that that the EEG the measure of electrical brain activity goes absolutely flat it's medically inexplicable that near-death experiences are having a conscious experience For years, however, some medical researchers had dismissed the NDE phenomenon as hallucinations caused by the dying body releasing a chemical cocktail as a means of defense against the pain and shock of impending death. That theory was dented in 1984 by an extraordinary medical emergency in the American west coast city of Seattle. Maria, a migrant worker from Eastern Europe, was rushed to hospital after she collapsed at a friend's home. In the ICU a medical team tried to stabilize her condition without success. Her heart stopped beating. Maria's body was lifeless for several minutes but the doctors kept on trying to bring her back to life. Then they suddenly realized that the heart monitor showed some life. Maria was supposed to be dead. Maria came back to life and immediately told an amazing story she saw everything while she left her body she could see the medical team working on her she then left the ICU to the roof of the hospital and as she went up saw a tennis shoe no one believed her story but her friends immediately ran up to the roof and with absolute shock found the tennis shoe exactly as described by Maria Maria's experience could not be anything other than the absolute truth. If the out-of-body experience was purely a mental aberration, how could she have seen a physical reality that could later be verified? After Maria's revelation, other similar stories began to emerge of NDE patients undergoing out-of-body experiences and being able to relate verifiable details that they could not have imagined. Can we still say NDEs are hallucinations?
3: I think yes, yeah, certainly in terms of the consistency of the testimonies in near-death experiences, it suggests that the, the experience is a reality which is not purely the product of brain chemicals, because I mean, we know from studies of the effects of drugs, ordinarily, that if you give one person a drug and then give the same drug to another person, they'll have two completely different experiences. There might be broad similarities, but not the level of consistency you find with a near-death experience.
4: No, there's no person can dispute whether these experiences are the normal functioning of the brain at the point of death, or rather represent some sort of chaotic hallucinatory activity. Remember, hallucinations involve the perception of something that isn't real. So when we die, we're alert, we're conscious, we're aware of this reality. So, certainly, people having near-death experiences accurately describe what's happening in this reality. But the key element of the near-death experience is that we perceive, I say we, as all of us are going to have this experience, we perceive another reality superimposed over this one. If NDEs
0: are not hallucinations, is heaven and hellish experience reality?
3: I think, in terms of whether the um, the places visited in near-death experiences, either heavenly or in terms of a hellish type experience, are real, is something that's beyond beyond proof. Um, ultimately, one would have to die in order to determine whether there was a genuine heaven or a genuine hell. But what's very clear from a psychological perspective is that the intensity of the experience is lived as real whilst the person's having it. So, for these people, whether or not there really ends up actually being a heaven or a hell, they feel the experience is real for them at that moment in time. Um, um, There's certainly no way we can deduce or prove that if someone sees an afterlife and it's heavenly, that heaven exists, um, because you'd have to die in order to to really, truly
5: find that out. When we die, we take that heaven and hell with us and we fit where we belong. We live... We die the life we live. Um, near-death experiences don't make a sinner into a saint necessarily uh, but um, doesn't change much but you become more aware and a a serial killer when they die would become more aware of how much of us you know and punishment they inflicted on others yeah and uh, that's that condition
0: the question then arises can there then be such a thing as an objective heaven or hell or are these places merely the product of religious superstition? Is there actual scientific evidence to support their existence? Today's scholars and religious figures are certainly divided. Some talk of reincarnation, others of assimilation into the universal life force. Nobody knows for sure. I'm a pastor. Or do they? Different cultures and religions experience NDEs differently. Even people of the same religion interpret NDEs differently. The question is, do the Muslim or Christian Heaven and Hell, for example, appear differently when experiencing an NDE? Reports of these so-called hellish or negative near-death experiences that closely resemble biblical imagery have sparked global interest in the ongoing debate to such an extent that research is currently being conducted by both the academic and scientific mainstream. Certainly the debate has been going on for centuries. Some claim hell is a human invention. Today, it's not just the scientific community that is evaluating the preconceptions of a heaven and hell, but also religious institutions some churches even go so far as to say that there isn't a hell and question whether these archaic beliefs are still valid in the 21st century but how do these hellish experiences appear
4: when we die we go through a fairly rigorous uh, series of events and uh, a picture uh, that a child drew of nearly drowning i think illustrates this better than anything else And we can see in this picture, the first thing he draws when he nearly drowned, is he states that hands reached inside his body and pulled him out. Doesn't identify who these hands belong to. But then these hands plunged him into darkness. As I'm standing there, i become acutely aware that the darkness isn't just physical, but there
1: is a spiritual component to it. An evil, cold, encroaching. It's like the atmosphere is permeated with a cold sensation, a chill or a terror. Visible eyes or something or someone checking me out. The darkness had it in the atmosphere.
2: my body began to move. I was strapped to a gurney, but it was like my body began to float. And I'm floating through this smoke. And I'm going faster and faster. And I, don't, I can't understand what's going on. And I begin to hear voices all around in the smoke. And, and the voices are crying. The voices are screaming. And there's all kinds of groaning and then it's like I'm coming out of this smoke like a like I'm coming out of the, a tunnel and I'm looking down into what appeared to be the open mouth of a, of a volcanic crater like a, like a burning lake uh, and I'm falling into this I'm just going down into this and and I have no control and the smell is is awful and and I can't breathe and and my ears are full of these screams. And then as I'm going down into this I begin to look into the flames. And I begin to see people. I mean there there's Thousands. There's too many. I don't know how many people are in the flames, and they're they're screaming, and their way, their arms are flailing, and their bodies are rolling, and and they're burning all over. They're burning like in liquid fire. But they're not burning up. They're just burning. And and like a close-up lens on a camera, some of those faces loomed up in front of me their faces are screaming contorted and and they're calling my name Ronnie Ronnie don't come here there's no escape
0: hell seems to be a terrible place nothing that we will encounter in this world but what do researchers say doctor Tony Lawrence from the University of Coventry
3: from um, my position in terms of transpersonal psychology, the psychology of spirituality, which would deal directly with notions of, um, of evil and of good, and of hell and of heaven, um, my, my perspective on, on what hell would be is that hell is not a place that you go to as such. Um, hell is more a condition or state of mind that a person has when they're, when they're ignorant of the possibilities in their life, the possibilities for love and joy and happiness. Um, and of leading a meaningful life, so that, in fact, anyone, at any one moment in time, by virtue of just being ignorant of their circumstances and of themselves and their place in the world, would literally be in hell. But it wouldn't be, it's not a place that you can go to, it's a
4: state of being, for me, personally. We don't know what happens after we die. (laughs) Uh, For sure, there's no objectively, uh, you know, hell isn't a, a planet on the other side of Jupiter that we haven't discovered yet. This is clearly a mental phenomena that happens to us when we die. It's real. The calculus is real. Mathematics is real. Um, You know, love is real. Uh, So uh, these experiences are real experiences, but they're dynamic experiences. They happen to us when we die. I think the best way to understand the hellish experience is that we pass through hell as part of the dying process if that hell is based on what our lives were like. If we're isolated, if we're alone, if we harm others, if we have religious belief systems which incorporate an objectively real hell, if we're afraid of the dark and we don't understand that darkness is part of the dying experience. All of those things woven together or any of them individually will then contribute to having a hellish near-death experience
0: is the experience then purely subjective some experts believe not dr. Richard Kent a retired medical doctor has traveled the world studying the NDE phenomenon over many years and has written several books on the subject of the 300 case studies he has made an alarming amount report not only the existence of a heavenly afterlife reality but also a hellish one
6: Uh, a place called hell. And they describe it's an absolutely terrible and awful place. Now, I don't know what it's like in South Africa, but in England, many churches don't talk about hell very much. Um, I don't know why. Uh, Jesus spoke about hell a great deal. He said it's a place to be avoided. Anyway, they describe hell as somewhere as as dark and oppressive. Uh, They also uh, were told in the scriptures where it is. It's in the center of the earth. Now, people say, well, where do you get that from? Well, it's in the scriptures. Um, Matthew 12, verses 14 and 41, I believe. Uh, Jesus says, I'll give you the sign of Jonah, just as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and for three nights. So shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and for three nights. Now, Jesus talked about hell, or the place of the departed spirits at the time of Jesus uh, being in the heart of the earth, alright? So it's somewhere in the heart of this planet, I believe. Now, for example, in the Old Testament, the spirit of Samuel came up from Sheol, the Old Testament hell, and the sons of Korah went down to Sheol, the Old Testament hell. We're told in the book of Ephesians that one day every knee will bow, those above the earth, those on the earth, and those under the earth. So I believe it's somewhere down there. Now, they describe it as very hot, it's very uh, unpleasant. Uh, there are demons there who are tormenting, uh, tormenting the people who go there. Um, it's, it's, uh, it says in the scriptures that uh, Lazarus was in torment. Um, it's just a horrendous, awful place. It's a place where people are terrified, are frightened. Um, and people even who have seen hell, even years later, they recall in horror of what they saw there, just a place of awfulness. People have seen Satan there. People have actually had conversations with Satan. Uh, people have had conversations with demons there. Um, people have heard the demons swear. They said they never heard language such as they heard in in hell. They had all the swear words that are commonly used and more.
5: Was assigned to an assembly belt under penalty of judgment by some helper, evil, uh, over here, if he didn't complete placing these giant multicolored puzzles, like a jigsaw puzzle that was coming by one piece to the next, if he didn't get it on time he was under penalty. He was screaming, I'm in hell. Where's the hell? To him, that was hell. He never wants that again. Never. He converted his whole life. Converted his too, who he woke in that hospital in Knoxville uh, with his head in her lap in the hospital bed. It was a very touching story and it's, it's life-changing. Everything is so violently life-changing or so peacefully life-changing, so wonderful. So you're onto a subject that is important to every individual present. Is it safe to die? Do I know where I'm going before I get there? That's the question.
0: And what of heaven? Is it the blinding white light, the benevolent presence of a supreme being, the wondrous feeling of love and peace that we've always imagined it to be? Some NDE survivors also got to glimpse heaven and found it just as real and tangible as hell had been.
1: As I was drawn into the opening, I could now see that it was a tunnel. As I looked along the length of it, I could see the the source of the radiance. My first thought is the center of the universe. Look at the light. Look at the power coming from there. As I've been moved towards it, I watch as a wave of radiance comes up. As this wave of light comes off the source, it touches me and I feel warmth, comfort. All that kind of fear and darkness just seems to go out of me and I feel a living light flow through me. Shafts of radiance came out from the central core. It was like a white fire. Phenomenal radiance in the central core. From that I watched this brilliant light piercing out. And I thought even the stars in the universe, even the constellations must find their energy source from this focal point. What is that light? Is there someone in there, surrounded by this radiance? As I questioned that in my own mind, a voice spoke to me from the centre of the light.
6: Right, for sure. Well, um, first of all, their spirit leaves their bodies. And then very, not always, but very commonly, uh, they meet Jesus Christ. Um, They describe him as nearly six foot tall, but radiating uh, light, tremendous amount of light coming from him. Um, from his face and from his chest and from his arms and from his legs. Um, many people describe um, he's still dressed in the, uh, the clothes appropriate to a Jewish rabbi. Of course, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, um, and he has a golden sash around his waist. Um, many people, as they come close to, um, in, their, in their minds come these words, you're in the presence of the Son of God. And at that point, many people get down and start to worship. Jesus Christ, and at that point they realize he's still got holes in his hands and in his feet, because they're quite close to his feet by then, and they realize that those crucifixion holes are still there. Um, but people, is isn't just the appearance of Jesus, um, it's the fact that they feel it, it, in the presence of so much love. Um, many people said they've never felt, they've never felt like that. They've never felt so completely um, surrounded uh, by love, as powerful as that. It's just incredible love. I mean, for example, some of the people I've interviewed have been um, hardened Second World, World War soldiers. I mean, these are you know tough guys. And they started to to cry, as they described, coming to the presence of Jesus. Amazing, really. Mm. And then, of course, after that, people either go to heaven, not invariably, but many either go to heaven or go to hell. Now, uh, let's talk about the nice place. Um, <laughs> In heaven, first of all, they find themselves in their spirit bodies. They're looking down, and they got, they're looking at bright white hands and bright white feet. In fact, the whole body is bright and light and white. They're different, different bodies. Uh, they feel young. They feel rejuvenated. They feel um, fully in control of all their senses. And yet, um, for example, Doctor Eby, uh, he described, um, he said that his, his his sort of reasoning power was greatly increased. His, uh, his thought processes were much more powerful. Um, he could see much, much further. He could hear much more. Uh, uh, his, his hearing was much more powerful. Um, his whole body was just a much better upgrade model, if you like. Um, but then what do they see? Well, first of all, they often describe walking either on streets of transparent gold, as it says in Revelation 21, or walking in fields of flowers, but these flowers are, are radiating light. Light comes from the trees and the flowers and the grass. And there's uh, not only light coming from the trees and the flowers and the grass, but music as well. And here's an amazing thing. Many, many people said, Richard, it's an extraordinary thing, but you can see music in heaven. Now, well, I can't explain that. I just can't explain that, but they say you can see the music in heaven. And then they, they say there's no sun there, but light just comes from the trees and the flowers and the grass. People have seen the river of life. Um, some people have seen the throne of God, that's called the Father, which is very big actually. It's, uh, many people said it's uh, up to three stories high. And there's a rainbow over the throne, just like it says in the, in the, in the scriptures. Um, many people have seen this great lake in front of the throne. And people have seen crowds and crowds of people around the throne of God, all praising God. And remember, you can see the music. Now, people have been transported around different parts of heaven. We tend to think of heaven as a, you know, a place. It's a huge, huge place. It's huge, it's massive. Um, it's outside time, which is difficult for us to comprehend. But um, another thing is people can travel to different parts of heaven instantaneously. People looked up to mountains and said, You know, I'd like to be there, and they would instantly be there. Uh, People have met their angels, their personal angels. Psalm 91 says we have our own personal angels. And many, many people have seen their own personal angels. It's amazing. It's absolutely... uh, You know, um, one woman I'm thinking of met her own child in heaven. This little girl, she was only ten, she was killed by a a truck or a lorry. This is in the States. And when she got to heaven, there's this little child playing in a beautiful garden. And she was ecstatically happy, playing with a lot of other children as well. And in fact, um, this particular lady said to a little girl, "Uh, wouldn't you like to come back to Earth? And she said, well, Jesus said I could. But actually, it was such fun here, I decided to stay here. (laughs) So there we are. Mm -hmm. So that's heaven. Heaven is just dramatic. In fact, you can always tell when people have been to heaven because they're just yearning to go back. Most of the people who I've met who have really seen heaven just wanted to be there.
0: It is clear that adults who experience NDEs are influenced by their religious and cultural value system. But what about those who are not yet influenced by culture or religion? Young children. Will they give us a better view on NDE?
4: So it's then a matter of religious belief systems as to whether you think that other reality is real or not. So so that's that that's uh, the issue of uh uh, religion and philosophy but nevertheless when i say near-death experiences are real i mean that they occur when these children say that they're happening which means at the point of death let me give you an example um, i resuscitated a young boy about eight years old who had a massive cardiac failure uh, in the lobby of seattle children's hospital dramatic resuscitation After we successfully uh, brought him back to life, he opened his eyes and he goes, that was weird. You guys just sucked me back into my body. He accurately described everything that was happening to him. He could see the top of one of our attending physician's heads, who was starting to go bald, and accurately described that, even though we knew at this time he was comatose. In addition, He said that while he was being resuscitated and his heart had stopped, he was on the ceiling looking down at us and he was bathed in a white light, a a white light that he thought was something trying to keep him safe. So what if that experience could be a hallucination? Well, clearly he actually described what happened to him, so that part wasn't a hallucination. But you could say the hallucinatory elements then were this white light. Is that white light real or not? I don't know.
0: Before we can understand this strange phenomenon, we have to understand the nature of the near-death experience itself.
4: When we die, we go through a fairly rigorous uh, series of events. And uh, a picture uh, that a child drew of nearly drowning, I think, illustrates this better than anything else. And we can see in this picture, the first thing he draws when he nearly drowned is he states that hands reached inside his body and pulled him out. Doesn't identify who these hands belong to, but then these hands plunged him into darkness. And it's clear that this darkness that's part of the near-death experience is the darkness that's the absence of sensation and input from our body so the hallmark of the dying experience is that we're conscious and awake while we're dying but we're not receiving input anymore from our eyes or our ears or our proprioceptive our touch senses or any of those kinds of senses so of course we perceive darkness so the first stage of the dying experience is to have the perception of darkness i suddenly found myself
1: in a standing upright position, wide awake. I knew I was awake. The trouble was, it was pitch black. And my first thought was, why on earth those doctors can't turn the lights out in here? What kind of hospital is this? As I stood there, wondering how long I'd been asleep for and why the lights are out, I thought, well, don't freak out. Let your eyes accustomed to the dark. Maybe you've woken up too quick. So I kept looking thinking my pupils are dilated. No light, couldn't see a thing. It was pitch black, like a dark room. So, well, well, okay, there must be some light in here somewhere. So I turned around 360 degrees, checking out to see if there's some light. Couldn't see a thing. As I went out to my right, I couldn't find the wall. I thought, that's weird, Have they moved me? So I started moving back to the left, groping around, looking for my bed. Couldn't find it. I thought great, you idiot, now you've lost your beard, how on earth did you do that? So as I'm groping around physically trying to find my beard, the next thought that comes into my mind is that it's so dark in here you can't seem to see your hand in front of your face. So I brought my hand up to where my face should be and it seemed to pass straight through, as if there was no physical form there. I thought that's impossible, you can't miss your head. I mean, for my physical body, absolutely nothing. What the heck's going on? It's like I'm out of my physical form. It's like I'm transparent, yet I have the uh, sensation of being a total human being standing here. Ian, who I am, appears to be standing here. What's happened?
4: The experience is vividly real. It's just as real as this experience right now. It doesn't have any hallucinatory or dreamlike qualities. So this darkness is extremely scary. And you can see in this picture here that after this young artist draws us darkness, we see the darkness then start to evolve into a, what he calls a light, and then ultimately what he thinks is heaven, which for this young boy scout is a pup tent in a golden field. So the elements of the experience involve the cessation of input from this reality the perception of darkness, since we're still conscious, and then the perception of yet another reality. And that reality is primarily based on our own perceptions of what happens when we die. So we die the life we live.
0: According to the facts, NDE is a phenomenon which exists. It is not hallucinations, but a real, inexplicable conscious experience. But what have academics to say who researched this mysterious phenomenon?
3: There are broadly three perspectives on the near-death experience. You've got sceptical explanations which usually argue that the near-death experience is some kind of brain abnormality near death or some chemical abnormality in the brain near death. And then you've got parapsychological explanations which argue that the near-death experience might not be a genuine glimpse of a heaven, but nevertheless contains some paranormal components, say for example extrasensory perception. And then you've got psychological explanations of the near-death experience which argue that it's some kind of motivated fantasy, that someone perceiving themselves to be near-death becomes very afraid and constructs out of fantasy in their own mind a heavenly realm to which they go. The problem with that final explanation is it doesn't account for negative experiences. Why would people who were fearful of death be motivated to fantasize about hell? That's counterproductive. Um, So I think psychological explanations are are, are the the poorest explanations of the near-death experience. It's either going to boil down to there's genuinely a heaven or a hell, or brain chemicals are causing the experience.
4: Near-death experiences are the last experience that any of us will have while we're still alive. They're, they're misnamed. They're not the uh, uh, near-death experiences at all, but they're the dying experience. Uh, this isn't a belief that I have. This, to me, is a scientific fact that has been documented now by 15 years of mainstream scientific research. What we've learned in the last 15 years is in the process of dying, several astonishing and counterintuitive things happen. Namely, the dying person has a complete return to consciousness, they're alert and aware of what's going on around them, even if they seem to be comatose, and they have an expanded sense of consciousness that extends beyond their body. How do we know this isn't just a dream or a weird hallucination? Dreams happen to people who are sleeping at night and are associated with certain brainwave activity. So clearly, it's absurd to think near-death experiences would be a dream. What about being hallucinations, chaotic dysfunctioning of the dying brain? Absolutely. They could be that. There's no person can dispute whether these experiences are the normal functioning of the brain at the point of death or rather represent some sort of chaotic hallucinatory activity. Remember, hallucinations involve the perception of something that isn't real. So when we die, we're alert, we're conscious, we're aware of this reality, so certainly people having near-death experiences accurately describe what's happening in this reality. But the key element of the near-death experience is that we perceive, I say we, as all of us are going to have this experience, we perceive another reality superimposed over this one. So it's then a matter, uh, so it's then a matter of religious belief systems as to whether you think that other reality is real or not. So so that's that that's uh, the issue of. Uh, the religion and philosophy but nevertheless when I say near-death experiences are real I mean that they occur when these children say that they're happening which means at the point of death one group that understands
0: NDE all too well is IONS otherwise known as the International Association for near-death studies founded in the early 80s it was established to support the near-death experiencer and encourage NDE research. Today, it has a very large membership in many countries. Other groups have followed suit, and significant advances have been made in numerous groundbreaking studies. One such study tested the validity of -of out-of-body experiences while under life-saving surgery.
4: Nevertheless, when I say near-death experiences are real, I mean that they occur when these children say that they're happening which means at the point of death. Let me give you an example. Um, I resuscitated a young boy about eight years old who had a massive cardiac failure uh, in the lobby of Seattle Children's Hospital. Dramatic resuscitation. After we successfully uh, brought him back to life, he opened his eyes and he goes, that was weird. You guys just sucked me back into my body. He accurately described everything that was happening to him. He could see the top of one of our attending physician's heads, who was starting to go bald, and accurately described that, even though we knew at this time he was comatose. In addition, he said that while he was being resuscitated and his heart had stopped, he was on the ceiling looking down at us, and he was bathed in a white light a white light that he thought was something trying to keep him safe. So what if that experience could be a hallucination? Well, clearly he actually described what happened to him, so that part wasn't a hallucination. But you could say the hallucinatory elements then were this white light. Is that white light real or not? I don't know.
0: Before we can understand this strange phenomenon, we have to understand the nature of the near-death experience itself.
4: When we die, we go through a fairly rigorous uh, series of events. And uh, a picture uh, that a child drew of nearly drowning, I think, illustrates this better than anything else. And we can see in this picture, the first thing he draws when he nearly drowned is he states that hands reached inside his body and pulled him out. Doesn't identify who these hands belong to. But then these hands plunged him into darkness. And it's clear that this darkness that's part of the near-death experience is the darkness that's the absence of sensation and input from our body. So the hallmark of the dying experience is that we're conscious and awake while we're dying. We're not receiving input anymore from our eyes, or our ears, or our proprioceptive, our touch senses, or any of those kinds of senses, so of course we perceive darkness. So the first stage of the dying experience is to have the perception of darkness. I suddenly found myself
1: in a standing upright position, wide awake. I knew I was awake. The trouble was, it was pitch black. And my first thought was, why on earth those doctors can't turn the lights out in here? What kind of hospital is this? As I stood there, wondering how long I'd been asleep for and why the lights are out, I thought, well, don't freak out. Let your eyes accustom to the dark. Maybe you've woken up too quick. So I kept looking, thinking my pupils are dilated. No light. Couldn't see a thing. It was pitch black, like a dark room. So well, well, okay. There must be some light in here somewhere. So I turned around 360 degrees, checking out to see if there's some light. Couldn't see a thing. As I went out to my right, I couldn't find the wall. I thought, that's weird. Did they move me? So I started moving back to the left, groping around, looking for my beard. Couldn't find it. I thought, great, you idiot. Now you've lost your beard. How on earth did you do that? So as I'm groping around physically trying to find my bed, the next thought that comes into my mind is that it's so dark in here, you can't seem to see your hand in front of your face. So I brought my hand up to where my face should be and it seemed to pass straight through, as if there was no physical form there. I thought, that's impossible. You can't miss your head. I went for my physical body, absolutely nothing. I thought, what the heck's going on? It's like I'm out of my physical form. It's like I'm transparent, yet I have the uh, sensation of being a total human being standing here. Ian, who I am, appears to be standing here. What's happened?
4: The experience is vividly real. It's just as real as this experience right now. It doesn't have any hallucinatory or dreamlike qualities. So this darkness is extremely scary. And you can see in this picture here that after this young artist draws us darkness, we see the darkness then start to evolve into a, what he calls a light, and then ultimately what he thinks is heaven, which for this young boy scout is a pup tent in a golden field. So the elements of the experience involve the cessation of input from this reality, the perception of darkness, since we're still conscious, and then the perception of yet another reality. And that reality is primarily based on our own perceptions of what happens when we die. So we die the life we live. According to the facts, NDE is a phenomenon which
0: exists. It is not hallucinations, but a real, inexplicable, conscious experience. But what have academics to say who researched this mysterious phenomenon?
3: I mean, there are broadly three perspectives on the near-death experience. You've got sceptical explanations, which usually argue that the near-death experience is some kind of brain abnormality near death, or some chemical abnormality in the brain near death. And Then you've got parapsychological explanations, which argue that the near-death experience might not be a genuine glimpse of a heaven, but nevertheless contains some paranormal components, say, for example, extrasensory perception. And then you've got psychological explanations of the near-death experience which argue that it's some kind of motivated fantasy, that someone perceiving themselves to be near-death becomes very afraid and constructs out of fantasy in their own mind a heavenly realm to which they go. The problem with that final explanation is it doesn't account for negative experiences. Why would people who were fearful of death be motivated to fantasise about hell? That's counterproductive, Um, so I think psychological explanations are, are the the poorest explanations of the near-death experience. It's either going to boil down to there's genuinely a heaven or a hell, or brain chemicals are causing the experience.
4: Near-death experiences are the last experience that any of us will have while we're still alive. They're, they're misnamed. They're not the uh, uh, near-death experiences at all, but they're the dying experience. Uh, this isn't a belief that I have. This, to me, is a scientific fact that has been documented now by 15 years of mainstream scientific research. What we've learned in the last 15 years is in the process of dying, several astonishing and counterintuitive things happen. Namely, the dying person has a complete return to consciousness. They're alert and aware of what's going on around them, even if they seem to be comatose. And, they have an expanded sense of consciousness that extends beyond their body. How do we know this isn't just a dream or a weird hallucination? Dreams happen to people who are sleeping at night and are associated with certain brainwave activity. So clearly it's absurd to think near-death experiences would be a dream. What about being hallucinations? Chaotic dysfunctioning of the dying brain. Absolutely. They could be that. There's no person can dispute whether these experiences are the normal functioning of the brain at the point of death, or rather represent some sort of chaotic hallucinatory activity. Remember, hallucinations involve the perception of something that isn't real. So when we die, We're alert, we're conscious, we're aware of this reality. So certainly, people having near-death experiences accurately describe what's happening in this reality. But the key element of the near-death experience is that we perceive, I say we, as all of us are going to have this experience, we perceive another reality superimposed over this one. So it's then a major. uh, so it's then a matter of religious belief systems as to whether you think that other reality is real or not. So, so that's, that, that's uh, the issue of uh, uh, religion and philosophy. But nevertheless, when I say near-death experiences are real, I mean that they occur when these children say that they're happening, which means at the point of death. One group that understands
0: NDE all too well is IONS otherwise known as the International Association for near-death studies. Founded in the early 80s, it was established to support the near-death experiencer and encourage NDE research. Today, it has a very large membership in many countries. Other groups have followed suit and significant advances have been made in numerous groundbreaking studies. One such study tested the validity of -of out-of-body experiences while under life-saving surgery surgical patients were split into two groups the first group claimed to have an out-of-body experience while under anesthetic the second claimed to have had no out-of-body experience the two groups were asked to describe what had happened to them while receiving treatment Those who had experienced no out-of-body sensation made wild guesses and were overwhelmingly wrong. The out-of-body group, by contrast, gave startlingly accurate descriptions of what the surgery or treatment had entailed, including giving precise details of data readouts on the surgery's electrical equipment during the operation. The concept of extended consciousness after clinical death had moved from the realm of religious belief to verifiable scientific fact. There's been a very good study of people that had cardiac arrests or heart attacks. About 15% of them had NDEs and the remainder did not have NDEs. And then they studied this group of people for up to seven years and there's no question that the people that had NDE's were significantly different from the other group. They tended to have a more spiritual belief system. They had a much lower fear of death. They had a much less materialistic view of the world. They were much more interested in religion and it really changed their lives a great deal. So this has been studied very carefully, or what is called prospective or controlled studies, and has been proven to be fact. The event is so common, the pattern of the experience is so consistent and its effect on people is so profound that just for that reason alone, even forgetting why or what the spiritual or religious implications are, NDEs are something that affect a lot of people in a major way. Interestingly enough, another study, quite separate from the NDE, has also lent remarkable authenticity to the Lazarus phenomenon. Dr. James Winery, head of the US Air Force's Aeronautical Research Unit, has come up with some fascinating insights into loss of consciousness. Dr. Winery works specifically with fighter pilots, exposed to acceleration stress of up to 9 Gs. That's nine times the gravitational force on Earth it's his job to put protective measures in place in order to ensure their safety.
7: Now, one of the things that uh, we began to look at from the science standpoint was uh, in understanding loss of consciousness especially when blood flow stops to the brain. We began to look at uh, other uh, events that humans go through like cardiac arrest, sudden death episodes where an individual's heart stops or he has a rhythm disturbance that prevents blood flow from going to the brain. We were looking at what scientists were doing over in those areas. Um, And we began to see that individuals that had sudden death, cardiac arrest, those kind of things, we began to see people uh, reporting the experiences that those people had. And when we began to hear what individuals that had what were called near-death experiences were having these kind of of, um, experiences of of dreams or or being out of body or those kind of things, we really began to uh, to look at our information and we said, boy, our folks are having frequent a lot of the same symptoms that are being reported with sudden death and cardiac arrest. So we we're really on track of a very hardcore traditional applied research um, medical program, and it just so happened that uh, the information that we had from loss of conscious episodes was matching fairly closely the information we were getting uh, from the literature in terms of sudden death, cardiac arrest, and near death experiences. So we thought it would be uh, interesting to the general scientific community to hear what our experiences were in completely healthy people having blood flow stopped to their brain losing consciousness returning blood flow consciousness returning we thought that would be at least a slice of information that might help individuals that are investigating near-death experiences might be might be interested in i think as a traditional scientist i think what our experiments really do is really lend tremendous credibility to what individuals that are having near death experiences are saying. You really need to listen carefully because our results suggest incidentally coming late on the scene that what these individuals are experiencing are reported very accurately. So I think our, our experiments really lend a lot of credibility to that. I don't think our experiments give the final answer. Uh, I think they, they give you a lot of, of insight into probably what's going on in the brain. But boy, uh, and there are things that, that our experiments don't show. So you have to listen to those individuals that have had even more traumatic insults of, of uh, embarrassment of blood flow to their brain. They may well be experiencing things that we don't have, But the things that we're seeing certainly lends a lot of credibility to listen to what things they experience that we don't that may truly give you insight into spiritual and and other understandings of life and death and what we're all about.
0: Research proves that near-death experience is legitimate. Nearly 12 to 15 million Americans have had NDE experiences this is such an enormous number of shared experiences that so greatly affects their lives that no matter what the cause of NDE no matter what your ideas about why it occurs there is no question that given the number of lives that it has impacted it makes sense to study it it's an incredible phenomenon and again the implications are enormous But. What spiritual importance has NDE to us, who must face the last final frontier one day?
3: But in terms of spiritual importance, near-death experiences have clear spiritual importance. People often regard themselves as having changed their life entirely as a result of the the joyful experiences they have near-death. And even in negative near-death experiences where people have trips that are hellish, people often report life-changing events. Um, And arguably even if it were brain chemical changes that were responsible for the actual near-death experience and therefore it's a hallucination, the consequences could still be spiritual for someone.
0: For mankind, the NDE phenomenon holds a message. Death is reality. And according to research and those who have witnessed heaven and hell through NDE experiences, we must think about our own lives. We will die as we live.
6: what people are describing are very, very clear-cut, life-changing situations. Now, I think you mentioned you saw Ian McCormack, and when all said and done, he's been travelling around the world for nearly 20 years. And he, like many, many of the others, uh, recalls exactly what he saw, to the very, right to the very finest detail. And although he has been recounting his experience, and many others have as well, probably two or three, three or even four times a week for all these years um, you can look at old videotapes and what they described hasn't changed at all it simply hasn't changed and um, in fact this event is the, the most uh, the single event in their lives that they remember most clearly unlike hallucinations the other thing of course is that these are life-changing events uh, in the, um, I've interviewed probably over 300 people who've had these experiences um, and all of them have been dramatically changed. Their lives have been changed by these near-death experiences. You can't say that about hallucinations. Hallucinations simply aren't life-changing experiences. Whereas a near-death experiences, um, when you meet Jesus Christ and either see heaven or hell, they are dramatic, riveting, life-changing experiences. And almost invariably, people's lives are dramatically altered as a result of these experiences. So, personally, and also because of the fact that the near death experience accounts are so remarkably similar not only to each other but also to the Bible, I personally believe that these, these are real events and people are describing real events.
1: Those
0: people who have had near death experiences, who have crossed the unknown final frontier, bring a clear message, heaven and hell is a reality. More and more scientific evidence proves that life after death does exist. Eventually we will all die and have to cross the final frontier, either to heaven or to hell. But where we are going is a matter of choice.